0: This week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Manichi.
1: Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at DMOUnion.com or at DigMeOutUnion.com. And we've got a new thing going on right now, which uh, people might not know about. It's called The Box.
0: Can you, can you explain what that is? Yeah, so it's a newsletter we're doing. Um, we basically take everything we create throughout the week and package it all up and into a newsletter and send it out Saturday mornings. It also includes, as part of that, we've been um, tracking and publishing both uh, release calendars, so keeping track of all the 80s and 90s relevant bands that our listeners like, um, so you'll know when they got music coming out, which um, is surprisingly more and more difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though we have access to all the music in the world, it's really hard to keep track of what's out. So we're, we're t- doing some of that legwork for you, so you can... And we link off to Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, all that, so you can check it out. Um, and then we're doing one-minute reviews, which have been yeah, kind of a fun experiment. So uh, it kind of taken the format of the podcast and cons- condense it down to a quick review of what works, what doesn't work, and then a rating. Um, and this is all new release stuff. So again, yep. Um, what you just did, uh, the new No Gallagher record, you did Ozzy, you did what else?
1: Uh, new guided by voices, new Greg Dooley. Try to do one or two a week, about a minute, um, in the audio end of things and cover, no, not just albums. Like the new Neil Gallagher is an EP. He's been putting out EPs recently, so we're going to cover that. I mean, there are bands that are only going to be putting out singles from time to time. So we might just talk about a new single that came out from a band if they're, if they don't have a new album scheduled. So just anything that's relevant really to, uh, you know, our podcast, Gives us an opportunity to talk about things that are are happening, and not just in one episode like we've done in the past. Yeah. So happy to um to take that on. It's fun. Uh, it was funny because I did my Ozzy review, and I did not look at anybody else's reviews. I just listened to the record, didn't care for it much, and then I'm seeing all these people like, "This is the best Ozzy album in decades," and I'm like, "What? Well, even, I guess it's all even real Bowie was that. upset with my review. So Ozzy didn't go over well with uh, me, but a lot of people liked it. I don't know if you listen to it much, but... Uh, I listened to a couple of singles. It was okay. I it, mean, It's very slow. Yeah. Like, I liked the Black Rain album that came out, uh, what was it, like 10 years ago? And... Because it had some, like, up-tempo stuff. And I dug that. Yeah. And there, there just wasn't... Uh, there was nothing up-tempo. There was, you know, I don't, I'm not expecting, like, another Flying High again
0: or anything like that, but. The just, uh, Duff yeah. McKagan bass playing didn't re- didn't do anything for you? It, the the mix is so,
1: like, Aussie driven Yep. You know, huge guitars, which I'm glad to hear the huge guitars. I assume that's, is it Zach Wilde, probably? Uh,
0: no. No? No. No, it was Andrew Watt. Oh. a guitar player on the record, new guitar player. Interesting, yep. I
1: guess there wasn't a lot of pinched harmonics, so that makes sense.
0: Yep, yeah. <laughs> I think mean, he still is the touring guitarist, but uh, he did not do the record. They gotcha. had, they put together this this band just for the uh, the purpose of this record. Too busy with Black Label Society. You know, I don't. I think it was more of an probably an Ozzy Sharon thing. I think they wanted. They were thinking of people don't have to pay. People they don't have to pay, and <laughs> well, I'm sure they paid Duff, but. Probably looking for a different sound, you know, seeing yeah. what what they get with a different guitar player and right, and some different writers because you know that he's also uh, you know infamous for let's say requiring some additional help in the writing department, so that can change things up quite a bit on his records.
1: So for this episode, Jay, it's a poll. Our February poll produced a winner. As each poll does. And there was a it was a very diverse poll. Let's put it that way. In terms of what was included, where I thought it was gonna go, and and I I, I don't know about you, but I, I when I looked at it, I was like, oh, this could be interesting. And then there was just like a runaway, which I was not not expecting. So for February on Patreon, the poll included Big Sugar's Album Heated, The Hard On's Yummy, Sunny Day Real Estate's LP2, Ammonia's Mint 400, Thought Industries' Black Umbrella, The Matthew Good Band, Beautiful Midnight, Polaris, Music from the Adventures of Pete and Pete, and Nitzer Ab's Abhead, I think, or is it Nitzer Ebb? I'm, I'm not sure how to pronounce that exactly. I don't know if there's an umlaut there or not that I missed, perhaps. So lots of comments on this particular episode. I again, I didn't know where this was going to go exactly, but Sunny Day Real Estate ran away with it. The only one in double digits as far as as votes go. Matthew Goodband was respectable. Yeah, I got eight. Yep. you know, almost into double digits. And uh, you know, some people actually talked about Sunny Day Real Estate this time,
0: which is a <laughs> you know <laughs> a <laughs> Thank rarity. You for making- Thank you for making comments on the actual winning album. You know, so many times we, um, <laughs> we don't get
1: any comments on the album that actually wins. So it was good to, uh, to see that we got some comments. Like Johnny Hooper said, LP2 is a mysterious record in every way, from its unintelligible lyrics, its lack of artwork, its gut-wrenching sonic dynamics to the fact that the band broke up even before its release. This album has remained in my constant rotation for all of its its existence and continues to cast a spell over me. The same cannot be said for Diary. Interesting. Uh Uh-oh. Mmm. Hot take. Scott Wiss said, Pretty sure Sunny Day will win since they seem best known. Big Sugar really confused me with that cover. Then I realized I was mixing them up with Big Wreck. I choose Nitzer Ebb since they're different than what than the usual and the an early nineties choice.
0: I like the logic there.
1: Davy Bright said, LP2 gets my vote for the amazing William Goldsmith drumming alone. Wonderful band and album. Patrick Testa says, Am I the only one that thinks how it feels to be something on is superior to the first two Sunny Day Real Estate albums? Hmm. I like them all equally, but I I will say there are particular songs on "How It Feels to Be Something" on, like in circles. Is that on that? That's on that record, right? Pretty sure it is. If I'm if I'm wrong, then it's on the first record. No, it's not on that record. (laughs) What's the? It's on. uh, It's on diary. Okay, what's the song I'm thinking of that has the drum like the big drums on "How It Feels to Be Something"? On pillars. Pillars. That's it. Thank you. That's it. So, That's Jay, we time. have actually done Sunny Day Real
0: Estate before. We have, and uh, I'm really, like, grappling with how long ago it was because it, it doesn't feel that long ago. A long time. We did it, album, or uh,
1: sorry, episode 91 in October of 2012. We, we did season two, Sunny Day Real Estate's Diary.
0: So... I'm not a math magician here, but are you saying this was eight years ago?
1: Yeah, almost 400 episodes ago.
0: Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Oh, my God. Because this will be episode like 478, I think. Yeah. And that was 91. So we're talking 300 and about 380 episodes. Eight years ago. Wow. Okay. Think about how much has happened. I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <I know. laughs> Not it just to like... us, Jay. They, in that time, they had been broken up. They reunited to put out a new song on a 7-inch in 2014 for, for right. Record Store Day. Like, the band has actually done stuff since we talked about them right. last. And this has been notoriously a a, a very tumultuous band they've broken up multiple times and um they uh, i'm sure we covered it in the first episode i'm not going to go through the whole history but they're pretty they're done there's very little chance based on the discussions that william goldsmith has had on his facebook page and um there is an unfinished album apparently which is where that single came from Mm. but because of the fact that nate mendel is so busy yeah. with uh, Foo Fighters, you just can't really... I mean, they're always touring. They're always putting out something. Yeah. So, And I understand because as much as it would be fun for Nate Mendel maybe to go back and play with these guys if he enjoys that music, Foo Fighters pay his bills.
0: And I'm sure when they're not working, he, you know, at this point enjoys spending time with his family and actually having a life, so right. <laughs> he's probably... Thinking, huh? Do I want to spend that one month I get off a year making another Sunday day record, or actually getting to know my family?
1: We should probably just jump into this record. I mean, we don't need to do history. We've already covered that. We've covered the 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 comments on this episode. Were you familiar with this record prior to going into it? Because I was pretty familiar with it.
0: Um. Yeah. I mean, I I've, I've listened to all their records. I would say Diary and probably Rising Tide were the two I listened to the most. Mhm. So yeah. I definitely listened to this, but I had not spent a ton of time with it. Maybe the least amount of time with this record. Okay. Uh, of, of their catalog.
1: Yeah, this was one I I spent a lot of time with back in our band days because our drummer Mark was a very big Sunny Day Real Estate fan and he particularly liked this record. Mm. So I like I would sit and try to figure out what was going on, like with bass parts, what Nate Mendel and what the what did how the direct interacting with the drums. So it was it was important in that sense because I was never uh, a train I have no training as a bass player, like I didn't take lessons or anything. So you everything didn't was go
0: to uh bass academy? No, I didn't go to
1: the bass academy. <laughs> and so I would think all of my learning was through playing along the records.
0: You didn't spend summers at bass camp? Oh, that would have been awesome.
1: All right, everybody get your fingers out. We're, we're going to do our finger calisthenics. if you've if you've got a uh, we're going to be slapping today. So, make sure your <laughs> thumbs are strong. Put put some super glue on those uh those cuts if you need to. Got our guest speaker flea coming in. <laughs> or or actually it's it's uh it's uh, a flea lookalike from a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band. Right, right. <laughs> His name's Tick. His name is Tick. He's from the uh the band uh Red Hot Silly Peppers. They're a children's uh Red Hot Chili Pepper band. <laughs> <laughs> I just I'll write that down. Red Hot Silly Peppers. That's, that's good. That's good material. That's good material right there. All right, Jay. Revisiting this. You were this is a lesser known album of their of their catalog. Tell me one thing you liked about either LP two or the pink album or self titled
0: Sunny Day Real Estate by Sunny Day Real Estate. I think the the word I heard in the music um, in the listener comments that really resonated with me was gut wrenching. You know, I, I definitely think this record gets to that point quite often, particularly when they're at full volume. Um, Jeremy Nick's at full voice. There's some tr- really, really great guitar work on this record, um, both tone and playing, and I think that really adds to the kind of crescendo that some of these songs get to mm-hmm. between the – and I think it's 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 not just the w- one guitar, it's the way that they play together, um, that you get this big, epic feel, but it also has this grit to it that – you know, when you bring it together with his vocal, it's a, you know, it really hits the emotional, sort of the emo core of what I think this band started. The song structures are pretty interesting as well in that they really feel like, like when they end, you really feel like, okay, yeah, that's the ending. Like it's like almost thematic in the way that it mm-hmm. kind of, some of these songs wrap up. It's not like they just ran out of stuff to say. It's It feels like, a considered from the intro through the whole song the crescendo and then how it's ended it all feels very well considered and so from that aspect it, you know there's a craft to it that I think at first you don't quite I, at least I didn't quite get I had to spend some time with the record to start for that to come out to me to understand thematically what they were doing and from a craft standpoint how well it was put together the drums are Remarkable in that he, he does some pretty, I think it's on the surface, some drum record records where there's, you know, busy drums or crazy fills like it's so immediately obvious because mm-hmm. you're kind of because it almost like gets in the way. Right. He's able to bring some pretty interesting, complicated fills and bits and accents and just dynamics without you it getting in the way which is really hard to do. So that's another layer to this record that I think, you know, once you get past the first couple of listens and you start listening to the drums, maybe a little bit more intensely, you'll start to realize that, you know, there'll be this song that this section, that's a little bit mid tempo or slow. And all of a sudden he does this fill. It's like, you're like, what, what, what? <laughs> like, right. How, how did he do that? And where did that come from? And are these little accents, you know, that, um, you know, I, drummers probably geek out about but really add to this layer of dynamic that's underneath um the music there's a, there's a lot going on in this record you know it's it's um it's not proggy it's not on the surface feel over doesn't feel overly ambitious but mm-hmm. you just I think as you dissect it and really start to listen to the songwriting and listen to the performances and get into individual players like, You start to get the depth um, of it, and it keeps, I guess, revealing more and more layers. Um, So, you know, that's that's some of what I liked about it.
1: It's interesting what you said about it. You know, on its surface, it doesn't sound proggy, but at, at a certain point, like they're doing some really interesting technical things that mm-hmm. I don't even know that, I feel like some bands reach that point simply based on being adventurous and not being like trained, you know, uh, conservatory music- musicians who know that. They just sort of start messing around with things from bands that they've listened to. And I, I get the sense that from reading about this record and, and where the band was, that a lot of this was conceived musically first, and they would jam out these songs. they get these, like you said, these huge crescendos. And then Jeremy Enoch would put his vocals on top, and a lot of it was just him sounding out stuff, where which would be placeholders, but then he never went back and actually wrote lyrics to some of these songs. It's just his creating a melody, and then, you know, maybe at some point, maybe at some point he was going to go back and do it. But so as far as one thing that I really liked about this, and I don't know if we addressed this on the first Sunny Day episode we did, but it really struck me how bizarre jeremy enix vocals are like he doesn't sound like anybody he sounds like a wizard singing in a castle like his if you were thinking oh this is progressive like he sounds like that like he's giving off a very progressive rock vibe with his sort of like he could have been in 70s genesis (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 that makes sense so crazy the way he sings but yeah. it totally works because they are pushing the envelope just a little bit on some of these songs. And I just loved hearing him because nobody else sounds like him. Even in the, in the emo genre, nobody ever got really this close to what he's doing. Yeah. And it, it really is special to hear him. And he would tone that down you know, on the next record, how it feels to be something on was definitely like, more constructed, and then the rising tide is definitely a much more song oriented in terms of verses and choruses and and you kind of like know where all that lands where on on these songs because of the fact that he's doing these sort of improvised choruses or or, or lyrics that aren't necessarily you know word driven they're just sound driven it's it's not always clear what part you're in. Is this the chorus or is the, is this the verse or are we in a bridge or what have you? but they keep everything like relatively tight. I think you know the first four songs are all under are all about three and a half minutes or less and then it gets a little bit longer on the back half where you get like four and a half five and a half four forty five, about five and then five ten. But for the most part, they're not like they could have easily put on like a seven-minute-long song based on the way that these are structured. Yeah. But they tended to rein it in in ways that are, are really interesting. It's only a thirty-eight-minute-long record, which for nineteen ninety-five is about unheard of.
0: And some of the songs you think they're going to go on longer than they do. Yep. You know, and and that's what I was saying. Like I was impressed with, particularly the ones on the first half of the record where they wrap them up and they wrap them up in a way that it doesn't feel like if it, it feels very well considered, like it has a real ending. It's not just, eh, let's just end now, or let's just keep going. It was like, no, this is the way the song's supposed to go. And, um, the way they start, you don't necessarily anticipate that that's how they're going to wrap it up.
1: And I think one of the things you mentioned about is, is the sort of epic sound that they get, yeah, and I think a lot of that is they do a really interesting thing where, you know, the one of the guitars will be playing sort of a clean picking part or a clean lead, and and the other guitar will might be doing chords, and the bass will just be kind of hanging out playing a you know locked in with the drums, and then at some point in a lot of these songs, everything locks into a riff, and you get these like really heavy. They oftentimes will drop into halftime for them and they're just really sonically like locked in and give you this big massive sound. Wow. just it's uh it's really fun to listen to. I also loved hearing stuff that sounded like what were standard kind of emo or indie rock um I want to say uh, not progressions but just just little like, hooks and stuff that bands would do and I feel like this band like may have been responsible for the creation of some of them. Um at the end of Genoa the I think that's how you pronounce it, um, the, which is the uh, eighth song. Yep. Towards the very end of that, they do that thing where the guitar is like, Dan it, Dan it, Dan it, Dan it, Dan it, Dan And I feel like a hundred bands did that after this. Like they yeah. heard that part and went, oh, we can write an entire song based around that. And this is just yeah. a little outro that they threw it onto the end of that track. Yeah. And there's so many little bits and pieces. That feel like they're that this is where they come out of in terms of being an influence, and I know that obviously sunny's a huge day, huge sunny day is a huge influence upon a, a number of bands, but it was just cool to go back and hear oh that that part right there that's where you know you can hear that in so many different little records, whether it's a cursive record or Jimmy Eat World or stuff that was coming three four years later.
0: Yeah, I think though that you have to. It's it's interesting, like for this being you know one of the records that are that are often references, um, you know, the start of emo or the inspiration. It's not always blatant, you know. I think there's parts you're talking about or bits and pieces here and there, but it's not like when you listen to this that you like right out of the gate think, oh yeah, that sounds like you know, band Jimmy Jimmy world or whatever. Like, no, no, it's, it takes dissecting it and pulling apart. And maybe that's just Jeremy Enoch's vocal just doesn't sound like anybody else. And the way, you know, to try to sing like him would be silly. Um, Mm -hmm. so maybe that's why for me, but I I didn't feel like there was a ton on here, you know, like Rodeo Jones had, there's moments of it like, Oh, that sounds a little bit like knapsack, but it's not, all over the record you know with some bands that you know say sabbath you know starting metal right i mean you can pull up other bands that sound exactly like them or blatantly rip off riffs, and you're like oh, okay and that's and you know this guy's trying to sound like ozzy and like when you when you do that with a lot of other subgenres of rock it's pretty easy to see the connection and i think with with them it's it's not always totally obvious um which is which is kind of cool. Just makes them unique, you know. Um, even if you're into the the genre, you know, listening to them is a little bit of a different take on it.
1: And I think the thing that I picked up with them on on a song like "Radio Jones" is how many times they let the bass. They just have like a rolling bass line that sort of drives the song, and it's not just on this record. Like the bass is very key yeah. to everything that they do. I think the Rising Tide is probably the one where because they're they're a little less, I don't want to say groove oriented, but they're they're not like building songs off of riffs and stuff. I can see where like Nate Mendel would be just fooling around with a bass line, and then they would build off of that because that's where pillars, like that's what I think of when I think of pillars. I think of the drum bass interaction on that song, yeah, and same thing within circles on the first record. That that to me is what separates them in a lot of cases because I feel like so many bands are guitar driven and this band really utilizes the bass stuff that and, and drum too. I mean, I really feel like having a weapon like William Goldsmith, like you said, he just is doing so many. He's doing this simple stuff really well and he's keeping it simple and then he'll just throw stuff in. You're like, whoa. I don't know why he didn't work out. In the Foo Fighters, other than you know, he was a little
0: looser. When I listened, that was in. I actually thought about that as it was this record. Um, I think the performance on this is it's kind of in the spirit of the first Foo, Fico, Foo Fighters record, but I can hear why Dave Roll in the studio would not be able to like just let some of these things go. Because I mean, he goes for things that I think we like because it creates like this energy. Mm-hmm. and it feels like raw and a little bit spontaneous and live, like when he goes for some of these fills and little accents and things. But when you're – I think what Dave Grohl's vision was at that point was really super tight drumming that could be pop radio friendly. Everything's
1: on the one. Everything's pounding the one. Right. And, yeah. And he,
0: it's – there's no room. Like trying to pull those things off and being a little bit off when I think you're – at the levels Foo Fighters was at that time and and trying to, you know, obviously being very ambitious, you you just can't play like that. Like it's just, it's gotta be precise. And it means usually if you can't pull it off, you got to simplify it and that just can cause all kinds of problems. So right, I I could hear in this record like, Oh yeah, that part was really cool. And then imagining him trying to do that on a Foo Fighters song and Dave being like, no dude, (laughs) like, like I get what you're trying to do, but you got to land it like a hundred, absolutely a hundred percent. It can't be ninety nine. It's got to be absolutely a hundred, and um, it's it's very difficult. It's not anything against his drumming whatsoever. It's just a different, it's a different beast. I think well, when you're trying to make pop, pop rock records or pop records,
1: I I don't know if this is the right way to put it, but I feel like William Goldsmith plays on the back end of the beat. Like, yeah. It's there's there's there is a relaxed aspect to some of his drumming. Like he's always pushing the song yep. in a, in a you know his way, but it's not in that like machine gun style that Dave Grohl and Taylor, Taylor Hawkins play. Right. Where, you know, when you hear like My Hero or yep. Monkey Wrench, I mean those are just like blistering Yeah. tracks, but when you compare that to like 8, which is track 6, to make yep. it confusing. Even though that's an up-tempo song, he's not attacking it in the same way. Yeah, and that probably is where the, the, the not the confusion, but the where the differences lied.
0: Is there anything that didn't work for you on this record? I don't. I don't under. I don't understand melodically uh, what this record's doing from a vocal standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally picked up. I, I, I was unaware that it was that raw. I I almost felt. Uh, I I I felt that I was listening to it. Like these aren't formed melodies, right. and he's kind of mealy mouthed. Sounds like he's he's either like. Purposely making it difficult to understand the lyrics or he's not comfortable in the, with the lyrics or the melody yet, mm-hmm. which I felt weird saying just because I didn't know the the backstory. Um, yeah, they were broken like, up by the time this record came out. Yeah. Like they were so, done. So for me to make that statement and then, you know, not know is, is tough to do sometimes. But knowing that that was actually the case, uh, to me, that's blatantly obvious when you listen to the record. So there's these moments where. Particularly in the verses, it just feels unformed and melodically not clear what he's wanting to do, um, which is distracting. Um, and then there'll be choruses where like, he really lays into it, and the tone of his voice is great, and he gets aggressive, and it, it, it kind of breaks up a little bit, and it just sounds awesome with the guitars. So I don't have any, any issues with the like, performance. It's just it doesn't feel form to me. Um, and appear, you know, that, that is, was distracting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's weird because like a song like Rodeo Jones does sound finished. It sounds polished. It sounds, and I, I don't, I mean like from a melodic and lyric standpoint. So some there's moments and songs and bits and pieces that sound more formed than others. Um, but that's the only thing I, you know, I found distracting and it, it made it the record frankly difficult to get into. Maybe that's why I've listened to this record l- way less than others without even analyzing it. It's right. just like okay, when you put it in, you're trying to like, I'm always looking for the, you know, the, the melodic theme and to be able to kind of pull up on the vocal and, and, and pick up on that. And, and then starting to see how that plays out. And it's very difficult to pick up on this record, like what he's trying to do yep. other than like, yeah, like you're like, what, what is going on? Like, he's not forming words. Like, it's weird. Yeah. You know, so, I, I would have really loved if, I think this record would be, you know, a slam dunk if, if that was formed better. It
1: reminded me of listening to, like, My Bloody Valentine's Loveless, where Belinda Butcher is just, I know she's saying words, but I don't understand anything that she's really saying. Yeah. And it's, it I you know, it works for them because that's the aesthetic of the band. And knowing that he can yep. form sentences and and lyrics on other records, it does make it a little bit of a weirder listen. You almost have to take it as an
0: instrumental record in some ways. And his vocal is just another yeah. instrument. And that's I, I got to that point too, where I'm like, okay, maybe I just need to think of this as just another instrument and stop trying to see if I can um, be less distracted. And I think it works better when you uh, when you let go of that and just think of it that way. But it's still, it feels like a miss, you know. Like in hindsight, with everything else working so well, to just have the the melodies be this kind of mealy unformed wand meandering um seems seems like a mess to me so this when this came out
1: i don't want to say it did bad i mean it made it to number 25 on the heat seekers chart uh in 1995 and because they had broken up you know the band it wasn't like pushed i guess you'd say I remember, I know that one of the, yeah, track, the song 8 was on Batman Forever, the soundtrack, and that's where I first, I think that's where I first heard the band was on that Hmm. soundtrack, because I wasn't listening to Sunday Real Estate or listening to Emo or anything back in 1995, so that was probably the first time, so in retrospect, thinking about it now, I might have gotten this record first out of all the records, right, And then went back, and then I think, I don't know that I went back and got Diary right away. I think I might have gotten how it feels to be something on when it came out in 98. And then gone back and gotten Diary, and then got The Rising Tide when that came out. So, I don't know that this, I mean, 95, this is when you're starting to get into like, I don't know this could have done any better, like radio-wise. To me, there's not a blatant single
0: And these songs are so... Yeah, no, no, no. You know... (laughs) This feels like... uh, It feels like 70s album rock. Yeah. In the best possible way, right? I mean, really well-formed, thematic songs that, you know, work well together, have a point of how they should work together thematically or the same, like... Yes, you get some melodies and you get some like standout tracks here and there, but it feels more album oriented. Unless I don't hear like a like with Rising Tide, like, like, oh, yeah, that's the single, or these are the two songs that are the singles. And then, okay, there's a bunch of album songs. This feels more like it's just an album.
1: So, uh, one of the funny things is that when the band ended up getting together later, they talked about releasing this record without really having all the lyrics finished, and they were sort of amused because when it was released in other territories, fans tried to convert the ly- what, what he had sung into actual lyrics, like translate them. So, like, yep. there's a Japanese release of the record, and the Japanese fans tried to convert all of his lyrics into it. Japanese.
0: So, this just like total nonsense. <laughs> well, it's funny the uh I mean the lyrics are in um app, uh Apple Music. So they do have lyrics for every song. Yeah. Uh, in the app. Well, and they say uh <laughs> funny. I'm looking through them now for uh, so um is Iscarabed? Is yeah. That the name of the song. Um one of the notes in the lyrics is interpreted by Jeremy Campbell. <laughs> 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 Yeah, there you go.
1: So, Jay, on a worthy album, better EP, decent single scale, where does the second Sunny Day real estate album
0: lie for you? Hot take. I'm going to be at an EP. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I just, I can't, I can't look past the vocal um, melodies and lyric miss. And I think it makes for a more difficult listen than it probably needs to be or should be. Um, so my EP would be Theo B, Red Elephant, Waffle, 8, and Rodeo, Rodeo Jones. Is it Rodeo Jones? Rodeo Jones. Yeah. Or Rodeo Jones. I like Jena as well. Mm-hmm. But there's just a couple. Like Friday, I don't love. 5-4 is okay. I don't like Scarabed. There's like three or four on here where it's just really hard um to get over that vocal. The scarabad sounded
1: like hum to me in some ways, and they got real uh, loud. It just re- takes
0: really long for that song to get get going
1: yeah i I like this record. It's a worthy album for me. Uh, I can just put it on and enjoy the music. I just think the yeah. music is so dynamic that yeah. I've always liked this record and and going back and and getting to reassess it was fun just because it reminded me of like what an alien, Jeremy Enoch is as a vocalist in comparison to his um, contemporaries at the time. So yeah. that was just really enjoyable. So we need to thank who was the one who actually suggested this this record when we uh, when the poll was put together. I'm trying to remember.
0: Hold on. Hold on, let me pull it up.
1: I had it and I lost it. Trying to, I'm trying to get it back. <laughs>
0: oh, there Let's we see go. Who can get, see we can get there first.
1: This was Johnny Hooper's suggestion. There you go. Thank you, Johnny, for suggesting this. Thanks to also to Gary Moran, Paul Devos, Mick, Darren, Rich Murray, and Sean uh, Gilday or Gilda or I don't know how you pronounce your last name, Sean. Sorry, but thanks to all of you for suggesting. You can go to our website and make make a suggestion. You don't have to be a patron. You can go to the website anytime. You can suggest an album, write up a little comment, and we will include it in one of our future polls. Seems like if we, um, it, it, sometimes we get a whole onslaught based on something that happened on social media that a whole bunch of people, I think we got a whole lot of Canadian ones at one point. Um, yeah,
0: we have a, we have a backlog of Canadian <laughs> records coming up that I'm there. I mean, there's two in this one, uh, yeah. right? At least two, yep, that I'm aware of. I don't know where some of these bands are from, but I know Big Sugar's Canadian, I know Matthew Bands Canadian, so yep, yeah. And the just go to digmeoutpodcast.com, that's our regular website. It's got the um submission in the footer, submit a record, and then we have also got the newsletter linked up there. So if you're interested in getting the the newsletter that we talked about. Um, Just go to the footer there. There's a little banner at the top, too, and you can uh, link over to that and sign up. And
1: if you're aware of a record that's coming out, feel free to shoot us an email or or a message on social media or post and just say, hey, don't forget, this one's coming up, and we'll make sure and include it in our calendar. Because although we're tracking stuff at (laughs) AllMusic and Metacritic, we can't track every Kickstarter, we can't track every...
0: There, uh, there are ma- ma- major releases that aren't on either any of the sites that we're currently using The find stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm finding stuff just through like Apple Music's new music playlist. Like I'll go through and be like, oh, Bush put out a song. Like,
1: yeah, had no idea. I honestly had Not- no idea that Noel Gallagher had put out those other two EPs.
0: Right. <laughs> uh Johnny so- Polanski has been releasing sing- singles. Like, yeah. b- only know that because it came across my new music thing, you know, whatever, some playlist on Apple music. Right. So yeah, just trying our best to final it stuff for everybody. So if anybody's got, um, aware of a record or gets research to continue to find more records, let us know.
1: And of course, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes, uh, for Jay, um, Tim and we're out. We'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out thanks for listening to support the podcast visit
0: www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages
1: as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com Wow. There's a, is there a tiger in your house? There is a tiger, I forgot to tell you It <laughs> uh, gives us an opportunity to Just, you know Hey, can you chill? But when you have Post Malone Guest on your album <laughs> Hey, But I'm going to kick I'm gonna have to kick him out I'm going to have to kick him out
0: Alright Give me a sec
1: <laughs> You're out
0: See, when you listen to the live feed You get to hear all this
1: sorry i had to shut the door they were uh the 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 kids running around were being loud
0: this is why we don't record on monday afternoons this is why sunday nights
1: work out best because the kids are asleep and the dogs are tired and they don't chase the cat around yep so yep it's gonna be all kinds of mayhem going on (sighs) hold on one second yep
0: Here, Tim, take care of business.
1: Oh, there's going to be a lot of editing on this one. All right. So we're for side